Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. Good morning and welcome once again to another edition of Talking Money. So glad you're with us. If this happens to be your first time listening to Talking Money, you'll find out pretty quickly we're not trying to sell you a thing. So, uh, yeah, we got to hit all, all the right buttons. So Eddie Holland's with me today. We're talking about Social Security and one of those things that uh, pr pretty much everybody has to deal with. And I know some financial shows on, uh, on this station on the weekend seems like they talk about it every week, although usually they say the same thing every week because it's the same recording. But it's important to, for people to understand there are some nuances. It's not as complicated as what some people might want it to sound like uh, just because they are trying to sell you something. But uh, Eddie's done a lot of, of special uh, research in the Social Security and Medicare area, and we want to tap into that, that brain power. See, So Eddie Holland's a CPA. He's also a certified financial planner, a, um, a personal financial specialist, certified kingdom advisor. Is that it? I think that's it. Yes, that's not that. That's enough. So, welcome, Eddie. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Good morning. So, I've been I've been on my promo this week talking about how it's one of Talking Money favorites coming back on the air this coming Saturday for Talking Money. So, we're talking about Social Security. Of course, we want to answer your questions, and and typically we get a lot of questions about Social Security when Eddie comes on. Mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. Mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. And uh, I always have this disclose, this disclaimer at the beginning of the uh, program each week, uh, but because we're talking about Social Security, the compliance attorneys wanted to add a little bit to it, Eddie. You know, got to make the attorneys happy, right? Yeah, absolutely. So Ronald Blue Trust and its employees have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. However, they do not have complete expertise to provide a full discussion of the details of your specific situation, which is accurate because we, you know, we don't know their situation that's calling in. So for additional information, contact your local Social Security Administration office. And I, I'll give you a little caveat on that, too. Be careful who you talk to there because you may not get the right answer the first time. And you've had some experience with that. I have, yes. And, and one of the important things is to understand, do your research before you go in. Don't take everything at just face value based on what the agent tells you. And don't be afraid to ask for a supervisor if the information you get is inconsistent with your understanding. Yes. Good advice. And hopefully they'll carry that with them to the Social Security office. And we do help our clients off. It's obviously with Social Security, but it's just part of the bigger picture. It's not just Social Security. And, and I've heard a lot of different comments about when to take Social Security and different opinions. And unfortunately, you're really not going to know the very best time to take Social Security unless you knew when you were going to die. Unless you have a a financial situation that says, I got to have the money no matter what, Correct. then you have to take it. But if it's not that situation, if we knew when you were going to die, we could really help plan good, couldn't we? Absolutely. That and life insurance and a lot of different <laughs> uh, financial components, we yeah. could definitely uh, make the, the best decision, the one that maximizes your wealth. But that's the, the key missing ingredient. So we have to base it on other factors. <laughs> and I don't know about you, Eddie, but I think I do. Uh, I don't really want to know what that date is. <laughs> no, uh, just, no God, question. Yeah, God can keep that to himself. Uh, don't, don't give me any premonition. 
Um, so I was speaking with my brother, Brian. Uh, he's been a client for a while. He lives down in Florida. He may or may not be listening. Uh, he has the app. Um, he but has he, no excuse not to listen. He, he, doesn't, he, has, yeah. he has a family obligation. So <laughs> there's no should. excuse. He should. But one of the questions he had was uh, a question that we get quite common. So I thought, well, let's let's just address that. And the the question and what gets confusing to a lot of people is that difference between, all right, if I'm going to collect Social Security and I'm going to continue working, uh, how much of that is going to and how do they calculate how much of that is going to be taken back from Social Security and what year do they do it? And how do they that's one of his questions like, okay, how do they know and when does that come into effect? because they don't know what I made till the end of the year, but I'm already talk, taking Social Security. So, And then the other part that kind of does so with it, but doesn't, you really need to keep them separate, is how much of your Social Security will be included as taxable income in a given year. And one would use the the one employee's or the one uh, spouse's earned income for the calculation. The one would use joint, assuming you're doing a, a joint file tax return. So... Share us some wisdom there. Yes. So before we jump into that, because that's, as you said, Mike, that's multifaceted and, and pretty nuanced. Let's just lay some core um, ground, uh, ground rule and groundwork um, principles. So okay. good. when we're talking about Social Security, there's really three types of benefit that you can draw. And we're excluding disability for now. So we're talking about pure retirement benefits. You can claim on your own record. You can claim off of your spouse's record or you can claim on a, a deceased person's record. So you have your own benefit, a spousal benefit, and then a, what they call a survivor benefit. Social Security defines what a full benefit is based on your year of birth. That's what most people call the full retirement age when you receive an unreduced quote-unquote benefit. A full retirement age is based on your year of birth, as I said. Anyone born between 1943 and 1954, full retirement age is 66. Anyone born 1960 or later, full retirement age is 67. If you're born in between those periods, so 54 to 1960, the full retirement age goes up in two months. Phased, phased in, yeah. So it's 1957, let's just say, is 66 in six months. If you take it prior to that, there's a reduction in benefit. Mm-hmm. It's The earliest you can take it is 62. If you delay past your full retirement age, you receive a delayed retirement credit. That equals... Uh, two-thirds of 1% per month, which totals 8% per year. So would somebody, let's say they were born in 1960, have a full retirement age of 67, they delay until age 70, then they're going to receive 24% increase in their benefits or 8% per year. So in your uh, illustration or your example with your brother, the question is, should we take one spouse, take his or her benefit early and allow the other spouse to delay as long as possible? Uh, till age 70. That's what some people call the split strategy. So one spouse takes it early, the other spouse delays it, and theoretically the the higher wage earner delays it. So the in your case, your brother, who has the higher benefit, would delay his until age 70. Right. The reason you would do that is because he's a higher wage earner, his benefit increases, he receives those delayed retirement credits, but there may be a cash need. So while he's delaying his benefit, his wife may start taking her benefit. If she is still working and younger than full retirement age, she's subject to what's called an earnings reduction. And that earnings reduction is uh, indexed for inflation every year. So in 2022, the yearly amount, if it's the year 
that if it's any year other than when you turn full retirement age. So in her case, let's assume her full retirement age is 67. A later year. Mm-hmm. And let's say she's 64 now. Her benefit uh, will be reduced if she makes over $19,560. So that's the annual cap. Now that cap is applied that's just on a her monthly. Income. Just her mm-hmm. income. And that amount is applied on a monthly basis. So the threshold limit is $1,630 per month. So any month she makes over that amount, her benefit is reduced $1 for every $2 over that amount. That goes in a bucket, and it sits in a bucket until she reaches full retirement age. When she reaches full retirement age, the Social Security um, Administration will start to drip that money back into her benefit incrementally. So it's not going to be a one lump sum. And I was telling you before we came on the air, this is the one thing that I cannot get a definitive answer from the Social Security Administration on. How long does it take for you to recoup the money that your benefits were reduced? So let's say that she, from 64 to 67, her benefits were reduced $30,000. Over that period of time, over that three-year period, $30,000 went into her bucket. When she turns 67 for retirement age, she will not get a $30,000 check but that $30,000 will start to be incrementally spread, spread, spread out. out over right. a period of time. Whether it's her life expectancy, whether it's a, a defined 12 years, I, I've, I've yet to figure yeah. that out. So one last a quick piece of advice then uh, before we go to the break. So why, uh, what disadvantage then she has of taking it, let's say, later this year or maybe a year before she's full retirement age to go ahead and take her benefit versus waiting? What's the disadvantage to that? So the disadvantage is anytime she takes a benefit, she is going to be subject to an, a reduction in two ways. Because she's younger than full retirement age, there's a calculation, and that calculation is five-ninths of 1% for the first 36 months prior to full retirement age, then five-twelfths of 1% for each additional month. So for the first three years, let's say in her example, it would be a reduction of about 6.67%. Yeah, in her case, I think it's only a year and a half or okay. something. It's so not, it would be you not, know a little less yeah, than that. Yeah. Um, so she's subject to a reduction from a benefit standpoint, mm-hmm. then that amount is now subject to an earnings reduction as well. So she's getting hit twice. She's getting hit by taking it earlier, right. and she's getting hit because she's still working while she's taking her benefit younger than full yeah. retirement age. And the, the the reason one reason to do it, which we were recommending she start some early, is because the extra benefit would help them delay his having to take it, and there's a bigger benefit increase there than there is a reduction in hers. Correct. So let's you, know, you have to look at all those different possibilities. Yes. All right, so it's time. We're going to ask uh, Russ, who's called in here, to hold on through the break here. We'll get you. We'll pick you up as soon as we get to the second segment. We'll be right back with the second segment of Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum. One division is Everyday Steward, which serves clients who are just getting started to those with an investable net worth ranging from $100,000 up to a million. For those desiring objective, biblical principles in their investments, cash flow management, financial planning, which includes retirement, insurance, tax, and estate, and their giving, Ronald Blue Trust's Everyday Steward advisors can serve as their clients' stewardship coaches, so they can focus on a living a life of purpose. For more information about Everyday Stewart and the other divisions of Ronald Blue Trust, they can be found at ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. 
We're coming up in about 20 minutes after the hour here on Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for the day. So Russ has been patiently uh, holding on to ask his question. Russ from Six Miles said, good morning, Russ, and welcome once again. I think you've called before on Talking Money. Morning. So I have a couple questions, uh, a little background. I had planned on retiring last year. When I uh, was going to retire, the company I'm working for asked me to continue working, but it's kind of like on a part-time basis. All the agreement is they pay me full benefits type deal. So I still have full insurance. Oh, great. So my question is I'm getting close to coming up to Medicare enrollment. And if I'm continuing to work, I think I don't, my wife or I, who's covered on my insurance, don't have to do anything. We don't sign up for any coverage. Is that correct? Eddie? Yes, Russ, that is correct. So you have what's called credible coverage through your employer. I'm assuming that your employer has um, more than 20 employees. Would that be a fair assumption? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So as long as the uh, employer has more than 20 employees, then you can stay on that employer coverage and you still have what's called credible or qualifying coverage. So when you do retire, then you have the ability to enroll in Medicare without a penalty. Most people think that when you approach age 65, that's the only enrollment period, and that's what's called the initial or the general enrollment period, which is three months prior to 65th birthday, month of, three months after. And then generally speaking, after that seven-month period, there are penalties that apply if you delay enrolling after that period of time. But one of the exceptions is what you just described, Russ. If you are employed, covered by an employer plan, with more than 20 employees, you don't have to enroll. Now, I will tell you, some people will tell you, go ahead and enroll in Medicare Part A because there's no um, no premium. It's free. Yeah, no cost. And I, I take exception to that. I don't think it's free. I say it's delayed because you've been paying into the Medicare system for your entire life. You haven't derived a benefit yet. So you're, you're receiving a delayed benefit that doesn't cost you anything out of pocket. Here's the danger. If you are on an HSA, a health savings account, and you enroll in Medicare Part A, you are then prohibited from making any HSA contributions. Right. So it's important to understand that you're on an, if you're on an HSA, you don't even need to enroll in Medicare Part A because it would preclude you from being able to contribute to an HSA after that. Yeah. Do you use an HSA, Russ, health savings account? Is that part of your? Yes, I do, and I mean that's really important for me because I mean I try to I put the maximum in, and the and the company puts the maximum in. So you know it's a it's not a lot, but it's a thousand dollars a month or whatever that's going in my HSA that can help me pay for insurance premiums later. Yeah, that sounds a little higher than the max uh, per year, but it's it's uh, and I think one follow up question to that that you may have is that uh, because of the HSA there's in that limit on on tax deduction uh eddie so when he gets closer to the time when he's going to stop working stop the medical plan at work how far before that does he need to stop can he not make an hsa deductible contribution yeah that's a great question mike so this is where medicare gets a little more complicated so technically medicare if you delay past your 65th birthday and then you retire and apply for medicare unfortunately medicare does not start that month it actually has up to a six month look back period now if you are let's say russ that you retire at 66 i'm sorry 65 years in four months so you delay enrolling in medicare four months then you enroll in medicare four months after your 65th birthday because there is up to a six month look back 
you would not have been eligible to contribute to an HSA over those four months past your 65th birthday. So if you're in that six-month window, and the six-month window, I keep using the word up to, it goes up to your 65th birthday or six months, whichever comes first. So if, if in your case, if you're four months past your 65th birthday, then it, uh, the look back is only four months. four months. But if you're 65 and 10 months, then it would go back six months to when you were 65 and four months. So that six-month look-back period. So depending on when you're planning to retire, Russ, you'd want to make sure that you don't contribute during that up to six-month window. Okay. So so the next question would be, that. so if I stop working, that triggers an an open enrollment period for me again. Is that correct? Yes. So it's called the special enrollment period, and it's an eight-month period that starts the month after your employment coverage ends. So let's say you retire... Let's just say you retire in the middle of the month, and I'm going to make something up here, Russ. Let's say it's in October of this year. You retire October 15th. Assuming your employer provides you coverage through the end of the month, then your special enrollment period would begin November of this month and last eight months uh, for you to enroll without having to pay any penalties. Now, keep in mind, this is Medicare Parts A and B. A covers hospital. B covers doctor offices. Uh, Medicare Part C, which is Advantage Plans, and then D, which are prescription drugs, that special enrollment period is only two months. So what we generally recommend to clients is once you've retired and you are off your employer plan, go ahead and enroll. There's really no advantage in not enrolling. You you don't want to have a gap in coverage anyway. Correct. And and, and a COBRA coverage probably doesn't... COBRA coverage does not not, uh, qualify as credible coverage. Right. All right, Russ. So that's what question now the next thing is that my wife's about four months younger than i am so if i were say my my birthday's in june so say they decide they don't want me to work in july so i i stop you know getting insurance um my my plan would be to just go directly to medicare but my wife would need three months coverage does she have ability to use my coverage that will be available or does she not yes she would she would be able to use your your cobra coverage now i would confirm with your hr department at your employer to determine what the COBRA um, ability is as far as you want to make sure that when she when she is now signing up for COBRA, she needs to sign up for an individual plan, not a family plan. Because if you don't need coverage, yeah. once you're on, on Medicare, you don't need coverage. So you want to make sure that she's not paying an additional premium for something she's not deriving a benefit for. Or that you're not paying an extra premium for her coverage. <laughs> yes, exactly. But yes, and, and okay. I'm assuming, Russ, she will turn 65 later this year. Yeah, so yeah, she's four months younger, so she, she, I'm June and she's October, so there's that four-month gap. Okay, yeah. so yeah, she would go on COBRA in your illustration from July through September and the beginning rolling in Medicare when she turns 65 in uh, October. And because she's not yet 65, then you know she's obviously not subject to any of the, the penalties. The, the penalties only apply once you're past age 65 and you don't have credible coverage. Yeah, great questions, Russ. Anything else that we can help you with? No, thank you very much. It's really been helpful because I thought what you said was correct, but boy, reading this stuff is hard to <laughs> hard to figure it out. So it's really great to get confirmation from yeah, y'all. That's great. All right, thanks for the call, Russ. Good questions. Have a great weekend. Yeah, those were uh, those were great questions and, uh, and 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 apply to a lot of people. So and and that just uh, really reiterizes reiterizes the difficulty 
uh, with trying to plan these things because people people weren't born the same day and, yes. and there's those gaps in in coverages gaps in plans and whatever and you need to go through all this. so there's no real one set answer for for everybody right and the thing that most people don't understand is that social security and medicare are really intertwined mm-hmm. so it, it's you can obviously enroll in one without enrolling in the other but because it's it's monitored and, and really um, facilitated through the same administration social security administration there's a lot of components that apply to both Medicare and Social Security. So even though we're talking about Social Security today, I'm glad Russ called because Medicare ties into a good bit of Social Security planning. Yeah, and there's and and part of what we want to talk about, uh, hopefully, we may not get to it later today, but um, but uh, uh, take comfort, Eddie's going to be back next week. So we got two Saturdays in a row to cover Social Security. So if for some reason you don't get your question answered today, get it ready. Send send an email during the week next week. Uh, go to the TalkingMoneyRadio.com website and submit your question there or send the email to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com and we'll get that question answered next Saturday because we got these two Saturdays. I knew one Saturday was not going to be enough to cover the questions and two probably isn't either, but but it, it'll, it's going to do for now. Uh, so if you got a question you want to uh, get in on the program and get uh, Eddie's input on, that's a great way to, to do it. So talking about Social Security with my um, colleague and great friend, Eddie Holland. So we'll be back with the second half of Talking Money in just a few minutes. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum, private wealth, everyday steward, family office, and the professional athlete division. The company's largest division, private wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private wealth advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with a big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. And we're back with Talking Money. My special guest today, Eddie Holland, the CPA, Certified Financial Planner, Personal Financial Specialist, and Certified Kingdom Advisor. Here talking about Social Security. Eddie's been on the program. I don't think I could uh, count it on one hand anymore. You've been on the show quite a few times over the years. It's funny you say that. I was thinking on the ride over here how many times, and it's been over a dozen and maybe a little less than a couple of dozen. So we'll (laughs) say 15 or 20. Yeah, something like that. So unfortunately, and and I'm going to try to fix this soon, uh, the archives in TalkingMoneyRadio.com can only go back six months right now without special permission. So I'm working on getting special permission to put a bunch of these back on because a lot of that stuff has not changed. And and today, even, we've talked about a couple of concepts that I don't think we've covered in previous Talking Money broadcast on Social Security. So uh, if you missed the first half, you can always go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and pull up the Listen Now, and, and you'll be able to pick uh, put in Social Security in the search line, and that'll help uh, send you right to the ones that we've talked about Social Security on. I'm, I'm pretty sure you were here second half of last year, so you you, mm-hmm. you will show up on some of those. But the first part, uh, before Russ's call, we were talking about the different nuances with Social Security and how confusing it can be with reduction in, in um, Social Security benefits based on income. 
second part of, of Brian's question was, what about the taxable the taxability of Social Security, which then is going to be based on joint income, assuming you're filing married filing jointly. So, how does that work, and how can we can we, can we possibly avoid it, or what can we do there? Yes, and so let me let me go back and tie up one loose end, Mike, before we jump to taxes. So, uh, we were coming up on our first break, first segment of the program. We were talking about drawing Social Security benefits while working, younger than full retirement age, and I mentioned that if you are younger than full retirement age. The reduction in 2022 is $19,560 is the threshold. So anybody that has earned income over that amount, $19,560, then you're going to be subject to a reduction if you're drawing Social Security benefits and still working. If you are turning for retirement age, the year that you are turning for retirement age, that threshold limit goes up. It it, it, uh, changes, gets better. Yeah, it gets much better. It goes up to $51,960. That's the threshold amount in 2022. The monthly amount, and I mentioned that it's applied on a monthly basis, so the monthly amount is $4,330 per month. That's the year you reach for retirement age. So if you have a a full retirement age um, later in the year, that benefits you more. If you have a full retirement age earlier in the year, say January, it's probably not going to be as applicable. But the reduction amount is $1 for every $3 over that threshold. Higher so, threshold and less of a reduction. Correct. Mm-hmm. And so what we do when clients are saying, hey, I'm planning to to still work and draw Social Security, if it's the year they're turning for retirement age, the threshold goes up and the reduction goes down. So we may tell them, delay Social Security for six months. You're planning to start drawing it in July. Delay until January because at that point, the threshold goes up from 19560 up to 51960 and the reduction goes down. Instead of one for every $2, it's now one for every $3. Plus your benefit's a little higher because you waited Correct. a little longer. Yes, yeah. yes. Now, let me mention one other thing, and then we'll talk about taxes. Let's say that you are retiring, but you're retiring mid-year. So let's say your sister-in-law was retiring, let's say, in October. And let's say she had worked and made $50,000. She's younger than full retirement age. So in her mind, she says, I'm over that 19560 threshold. Right. Social Security allows you a one-time provision to petition them to say, ignore my earnings history, apply the threshold limit on a go-forward basis starting when I retire. So in her case, they would ignore the fifty grand she's made up to this point. And as long as she doesn't make more than $1,630 every month, then she would get a, an unreduced or unadjusted, let me say it right. that way, unadjusted benefit from an earnings standpoint, but still subject to the reduction that we've talked about in the first segment based on her for retirement age, taking it earlier than for retirement age. So as as you can imagine, I'm sure that some people, are their heads are spinning. So I know it's extremely <laughs> um, confusing, and that's the benefit of having this recorded. You can go back and listen. And then as Mike said, if you have questions, you can obviously email him at mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. Okay, taxes. Yes. So Everybody's taxes. favorite subject. Absolutely. Everybody loves to talk about taxes. So how are Social Security benefits taxed? Well, if you're in the states of Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Florida doesn't have state income tax, so Brian's right. um, situation wouldn't apply. But uh, the states of Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina do not tax Social Security. So we're only talking about federal taxation of Social Security. There is a very detailed formula. As you can imagine, the government gets involved <laughs> and they make things complicated. They look at your combined income. So basically, the combined income is your adjusted gross income plus half of your Social Security benefits. So we take all of that together, add it up, and we arrive at a a dollar amount. That dollar amount is then um, 
apply to another formula to determine how much of Social Security benefits are taxed. If that dollar amount is less than $32,000 and you're married filing joint, none of your Social Security benefits are taxed. If it's over $44,000, up to 85% is taxed. It's on a graduated scale. So if your combined income is, let's just say, $45,000, it's not going to be 85%. Social Security benefits are not going to be subject Eighty-five uh, percent of those just are not the part over forty-four thousand. Correct, right. and so it's it's going to be a graduated. So it might be like fifty-five percent of your social security benefits are taxed. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you're making one hundred fifty thousand, then it's going to be eighty-five percent of your social security benefits are taxed. And now, if you fall in between those two windows, if you fall between the thirty-two and the forty-four, then about fifty percent of your benefits are taxed. Now, Mike, you mentioned at the beginning that. I've had the opportunity to speak at several places, and one of the places I speak is Michelin on Social Security. Right. And I will tell you this funny story. So I had one gentleman who was in one of the seminars, and he raised his hand, and he said, so you're telling me that Social Security is taxed at 85%. And I said, no, it's not an 85% tax rate. <laughs> right. Up to 85% of your benefits are taxed. Are included as taxable income. Correct. Right. At your marginal rate. Right. So let's say we have 10000 Which 000. could be higher since you... Yeah, absolutely you yeah you could it. have you could yeah. have scaled up into a higher tax right. bracket so you could have gone from the 12 to the 22 or the 22 to the 24 but if you have ten thousand dollars of total social security benefits the most that's going to be subject to tax is 85 percent or in that example eight thousand five hundred dollars mm-hmm. so you're not paying tax on an 85 percent clip mm-hmm. but you're paying a tax on 85 percent of your social security benefits at your marginal rate even though that probably made sense to him that yeah they're probably going to take 85 percent in taxes it's not that bad yes right? exactly yeah it may get that way and I, and I was sharing with you that new bill that's in congress that or the, the, i think he's already presented it to try to tax the rich people even more to to pay for other benefits and or delay the the ultimate decision of how do you fix social security it doesn't start running out of money in 2034 or whatever it is uh and and which is another thing to to always be aware of that even though they say it's going to run out of money it doesn't mean that all the benefits go away i think they're still talking about being able to pay 80 percent or something Mm -hmm. of your benefits so most of it still be paid even if it went bankrupt because there's enough people paying in the system now to to cover those kind of benefits all right so um the $32,000, benefit, uh, so there's really not much you can do about that, except you do need to be aware of it. And so one of the calculations that we're going to do with clients is to say, okay, if you're going to do, let's say, a Roth conversion, then you better be careful not just of the income tax situation, but how does that affect uh, two things. This will be a segue to the next topic uh, is how's it going to affect the Social Security, how much your Social Security is included as taxable income, uh, but also what tax bracket's going to put you in. you got to look at both. And, and it's easy to forget the one you're just looking at the marginal taxable income but not thinking, ooh, wait a minute, though. This just caused me to have more of my Social Security tax increased um, or included as income. And it's one of those things that uh, you, if you forget about, and a higher net worth person doesn't matter. It's 85% is going to be included no matter what they do. Mm-hmm. They're not going to want to sacrifice their income, but there are certain things you, you can do and, and want to be careful about uh, so, um, anyway, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. I know you got some thoughts. You always have some thoughts. I do. Yes. Yes. Um, so I, I had a mental image. Um, I remember when, when I was uh, talking with another financial advisor, we were talking through all these, um, implications of mm-hmm. whatever it may be, Roth conversions, social security planning, yeah. and it can almost make you just want to throw your hands up in the air because every decision <laughs> that you make, there's a trickle down impact yeah. that it has on something else. Yeah. And so what you just described, Mike, is 
if I start taking my Social Security, that could potentially increase my income over a threshold that makes more of my Medicare Part B premiums uh, or, or uh, makes my Medicare Part B premiums higher. Right. It could subject <clears throat> you to the possibility of increasing into a higher tax bracket. So as we mentioned before, the 12 to 22 percent. Here's where it gets really complicated. Let's say you move from the 12 to 22 percent. Mm-hmm. Let's say that you have an investment account that you recognize some gains inside of. By moving from the 12 to the 22, not only have you subjected yourself to potentially more income tax, but you're paying at capital gains because if a 12% tax bracket um, citizen, it has capital gains, they don't pay any tax. Zero. Zero long-term capital gains. Correct. Long term, long-term, stress it's got to be long-term capital gains. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Good clarification. But if they move into 22%, then at that point, they're subjecting themselves to potentially some long-term capital gains. So it's the double whammy. So you're moving up into, because you're exposing more of your Social Security benefits to tax, but you could also be paying higher um, because of long-term capital gains as well. Yeah, so you got to be thinking of what my income tax marginal situation could be, what my long-term capital gain tax situation might be, what my uh, amount of income that might be, Social Security income that might be included as taxable income, and how much it might affect my Medicare premium two years later. Just simple stuff. Well said, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) We want to talk more about that part when we get back for the break. If you've got a question for us, send that question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. We'll be back with the last segment of Talking Money in just a few minutes. Talking Money is brought to you by Ronald Blue Trust. With nationwide trust capabilities, Ronald Blue Trust provides wealth management strategies and trust services based on biblical principles to help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. With over $11 billion of assets under management and advisement and a network of 16 offices, including Greenville, Ronald Blue Trust serves over 10,000 clients in all 50 states through distinct divisions and offers services across the wealth spectrum in these key areas. Financial retirement estate planning, investment management and solutions, charitable giving strategies, personal trust and estate settlement, bill paying, family office services, business consulting, and institutional client services. More information about Ronald Blue Trust can be found at ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. We've got about 11 minutes here left on Talking Money. Yeah, start the start the the video and audio as well on my end. That's fine. I keep forgetting to we're trying to do more of this video. So when you when you see these posted on uh, TalkingMoneyRadio.com, I'm actually taking some recordings of it uh, on video so you can actually see Eddie and I conversing and messing around here in the studio trying to figure out how to answer people's questions. A behind-the-scenes look. Behind-the-scenes look. Very yeah. glamorous yeah. behind-the-scenes look. Yeah, yeah. I can't come on my pajamas anymore. I got to <laughs> I I wear something else. You know, go figure. All right, talking about Social Security today, we want to talk a little bit. There's some specific techniques and and certain uh, things that are that a higher net worth, higher income earner is subject to that a that somebody with lower income is not subject to. And we want to make sure that that those people get their uh, information as well. So uh, we want to talk initially here some about some Medicare premiums and how their income affects the social, the Medicare premium, maybe some things, some strategies around that. And we'll talk next week about some more strategies and things that affect higher net worth people as well. So we'll get a good mix of things that some things affect everybody and some that just affect the higher net worth people. So Medicare premiums. So uh, talk to us about that a little bit, Eddie. Yeah, Mike. And, and so just um, 
kind of bridging what we talked about last segment with this segment, we talked about how Social Security decisions can impact multiple things. It can impact your tax situation. It can impact um, the possibility of of paying um, higher or more long-term capital gains. And this is really a perfect illustration of why many clients come to us. As we talked about, one decision may open up three or four different doors. And retirees and near retirees, uh, one retiree came in and said, all I did my entire working career is just tried to follow one simple principle keep my head down, save as much as I could, and um, try to work as hard as I could. And yeah. that was basically – and taxes at that point are pretty much going to take care of themselves. Because W-2 the more, wages. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The more you make, the more taxes you pay, and you thank the Lord that you've got the ability to pay taxes because you either have a tax problem or an income problem. Yeah. Most people want a tax problem because that means they've, they've got <laughs> they enough got income. income from, yeah. So, um, But as you retire, there's a lot of different components that you have to think through. Social Security, Medicare planning, tax planning, should I do some Roth conversions – all of that is intertwined and interconnected. And most people say, hey, I don't want to retire to start a second career trying to manage my money and figure out how all this is going on. And so one of those components is Medicare. So at the beginning of the program, Russ called and talked about, I'm starting to enroll in Medicare later this year, and my wife will follow me about four months later. So we talked about Medicare Part A not costing anything. Part B, Medicare Part B, is a premium that's based on your income, your modified adjusted gross income. So for 2022, that premium is $170.10 as base. And if you're a married filing joint taxpayer, if your income is $182,000 or less, modified adjusted gross income is $182 or less, then you pay that base rate of $170.10 per person. Which covers most people. And that's going to cover correct. most people listening is going to cover. But yes. there's some that it doesn't. Correct. Huh. And so if you're over that threshold, let's say you have income, modified adjusted gross income as a joint taxpayer between 182 and 228000 then the premium goes up from 170 up to $238.10. So we're talking about almost a $70 increase per person per month. Now, you and I were talking off camera or off mic and um, – uh, and, uh, and off camera. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yes, <laughs> camera and mic. Um, and – this is this is I can get on a soapbox and I won't I'll spell uh, spare all the listeners, but this is a tax. This is a surtax. This is an additional premium that you're paying based on income, and so most people when we say who are the rich, if I ask, let's say we polled a hundred people, would most people say that a person earning one hundred eighty-two thousand dollars of a modified adjusted gross income is rich? Probably not. No, maybe fairly well off, but not rich. Correct, comfortable, but but certainly not rich. But yeah, they're being asked to pay a higher premium. And so this, this is a graduated scale. Your premium goes up the higher your income is. If you have income of 750000 or more, you're going to pay $578.30 per month uh, Medicare per person. So as you can see, there's a big range of Medicare premiums depending on your income. So why does that matter? Well, let's say that we have a client that is retiring, and let's say that they're getting caught up in a downsize. They're receiving a severance and they're enrolling in Medicare. Well, if that severance throws them into, let's just say, the $500,000 income range. Just one time. It just has to be that one year. Correct. And there's nothing that they can do. Then they're going to pay $544.30 in Medicare Part B premium per person. And here's the reality. And when does that go into effect? Now, is that 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 right then, or is that that two-year wait? So it's a two-year wait. So what ends up happening is so your Medicare Part B premium – is adjusted every year at the beginning of the year. So in January, well, at that time, 
the most recent tax return on file is from two years ago. So when we rolled the calendar forward to 2022, the most recent tax return for most people was the 2020 tax year. They had not yet filed their 2021 tax year because obviously nothing had been settled yet. They hadn't gotten any of their tax forms. Mm -hmm. So this is generally a two-year look back. So you could theoretically, in your case, what you just described, Mike, you could potentially be in a lower Medicare bracket and then have the severance package income throw you into a higher Medicare bracket later in a couple of years later. So there is something called an IRMA appeal. It's IRMA is what we just talked about, the Medicare Part B premium surtax. If you have a qualifying event and loss of, of employment is one of those where you receive a severance, we've helped many clients navigate helping file an IRMA appeal to reduce their Medicare Part B premium. So it's one factor that we can kind of come alongside and help clients understand that you don't have to pay that if one of the qualifying events applies in your situation, which is work stoppage, divorce, um, I think maybe um, – Loss of income-producing property is another one. Inheritance, I don't think I can check and make sure. I don't think inheritance is. One thing that I know is not is if you sell property. So let's say you had some land and you sold some land. That's not a qualifying event. You'll have to pay the Medicare Part B premium surtax on that. And plus, if somebody does a Roth conversion, so we we work a, a lot with people trying to figure out how to reduce the future required minimum distribution by having them do some Roth conversions now, but still try to keep them under some lower brackets. That that event also would not be a quality. You wouldn't you couldn't exclude that. Correct. Yes. Which is very important. So when we're working on Roth conversions, busy time of year for most advisors in our firm is end of year because we're doing a lot of tax analysis in Roth conversions. And that's one of the components that we look at. We don't want to increase Roth conversions too high. But what some clients have decided to do is let's bunch our Roth conversions in one year. Right pay a higher Medicare premium this year instead of paying a higher Medicare premium for the next three or four years. We're going to get all the Roth conversions done in one year, bunch those, and then avoid having to pay the Medicare premium tax at a higher rate for multiple years. So you calculate how much extra income tax I'm paying this year because I bunched all those Roth conversions together in one year, but realizing I'm reducing premiums on Medicare, not just for one year, but you'll take however many years you were going to do it over, let's say five-year period, you're saving Medicare premiums on all five of those years, then you have to just weigh the two together and see which is the better option. Yes, and why that's important is we know the tax law is sunsetting in 2025. So beginning 2026, it reverts back to what it was under the Mm -hmm. Obama administration. Mm -hmm. Trump tax codes are currently in place. So what people are trying to do is they're trying to to kind of mash together as much as they possibly can in that 22 or that 24% bracket because that's going away and the 25 is going to come back, um, you know, in 2026. So it's another component that we look at. So I know we're coming up on a couple of minutes before, but let me just read the seven qualifying events so that um, we know what those are. So death of a spouse, marriage, divorce or annulment, work reduction, work stoppage, loss of income from income producing property or loss or reduction of certain kinds of pension income. So as you can see, some of those loss of income, that's going to be hard to contend because your income is probably going to go down. So I don't, I can't imagine why your Medicare Part B premium would go up if you've lost income. Right. So that's almost, uh, I don't quite understand why is that, that there? one. Yeah. But the biggest one, from my standpoint, death of a spouse, work reduction, and work, work stoppage. And the work stoppage could be retirement or they laid you off. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And generally right. speaking, it, there's an incentive for you to, to receive a severance when they're asking you to retire. 
if they're begging you to stay and you retire, a lot of times it's hard to get a severance. Yeah. But if they're asking you to retire, so it's more of kind of when you're being uh, escorted or yeah. kind of pushed yeah. out that where you may have this uh, apply. So take Russ's questions earlier. So he's about to retire. So when he files for Medicare, uh, what premium would he start out with? Would they look back two years and that income or does he start the lower income and then they look at it later? They're probably going to look at the 2021 tax return because by the time he applies for Medicare, he will probably have filed his 2021 tax return. Yeah. So in his case, they're probably going to look at 2021 tax return. But if the 2022 tax return is higher than the 2021, because let's say he gets a severance, then there's a possibility that he could apply for that or, uh, IRMA appeal and reduce his Medicare Part B premium. Yeah. All right. Great information. We want to talk some more about social security I, yes. I hopefully everybody wants to hear more about social security if you want to get a question in between now and then then you can go ahead and email that question to me mike at talkingmoneyradio.com or you can go to talkingmoneyradio.com and there's a place there that says ask mike a question you just go in there and ask the question and uh, we'll get that on the air for next week because uh, eddie's going to join me live again to answer your questions so appreciate you being with me again, Eddie. Thank you, Mike. Enjoyed it. All right. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week for the next edition of Talking Money.